0: This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And
1: Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv
0: and wherever ebooks are sold.
1: I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric shaw And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. So, Eric. Yes, Christopher. Remember how we did another podcast called The Dinner Party Show and we had special correspondence? I do
0: remember that,
1: yes. Okay, well, one of them found out we've started a new podcast and he's pissed he's not on it.
0: So, this
1: is our
0: podcast network. I know, but he's calling in right now. Well don't answer. Why are you ant am- don't oh oh my god, it's Jordan Ampersand.
2: What the hell? I'm like the best thing that ever happened to you guys, and you're not gonna have me on your new podcast?
0: That's correct. And it's also proof that you're not the best thing to ever happen to us.
2: I'm like hot and young and way cooler than either of you. You you need me to be popular with the menials.
0: I think you mean millennials, and you're not one.
2: Okay, fine. I forgive you.
0: We didn't ask you to. Go away. But
2: first, since it's Christmas, I think it's It's time for my own special variation on an old holiday favorite.
0: A hangover? Eric, will you just roll with it? Will you please stop sleeping with this kid? He's
2: not a kid. Don't call him a kid. And we've stayed
1: socially distant the entire year. Thank you very much. And yet, he's here. Roll tape,
0: Brandon. Brandon? You're in on this?
1: Sorry. He agreed to walk
0: Quasar next month. You're going to let this little drug-addled idiot alone with your dog?
2: Well, I don't give the dog drugs. Jeez. Anyway, enough, all of you. It's time to listen to my genius.
0: And now the Dinner Party Show is proud to present a special version of Twas the Night Before Christmas by, oh, for Christ's sake, Jordan fucking Ampersand. Who else? I swear to God. Twas
2: the night before Christmas and all through the club... All the drag queens were screaming, and their steps were all dubbed. Their makeup was caked on their faces with care as they tried to get the attention of the porn star who did all his scenes bare. The DJ spun tracks by Rihanna and Miley, while capsules of Molly made us all happy and smiley. My bestie in his jumper and I in my thong had just scrambled our brains with a fat remix of that new Adele song. Hola. 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 When in front of the club there arose such a ruckus, I turned to Fitzpatrick and said, run girl, it's that old troll who always tries to fuck us. Away to the dance floor we flew in a flash, grabbing some napkins to cover my ass. The disco balls twirling so high over our heads made everyone around us look brightly colored and dead. But what to our wandering eyes should appear but the CEO of a major record label and several of the young assistants he holds so dear. He was super old but also lively and quick, which told us he was so fucking rich nobody cared he had a small dick. We jumped up and down, hoping he'd see us, but instead he turned to the drag queens as if they were jaguars, and we approved. Oh, girl, 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 girl,
0: girl. Mm-hmm. Now, Bubbles, now Bundles, now Princess Brozac. On Skanky Picnic, on Luscious Febreze, on Madam Panic Attack. To my limo on the boulevard and my beach house in Malibu, I'm having a Christmas party, and the special guests are all of you!
2: drag queens before an offer of cocaine fly, when they meet with an obstacle, give basic bitches side-eye. So into the limo, the drag queens all piled, with purses full of pills and sequins by the mile. And then in a twinkling, they heard on their roof, Fitzpatrick and I screaming why the fuck weren't we invited to?" As the limo squealed to a halt and a guard jumped from the front, out came the executives Annoyed sounding grunts. <laughs> he was dressed all in Dolce, which totally didn't fit, and his jeans were so tight it looked like he couldn't sit. A pipe full of something was stuck in his lips, and he looked super creepy when he offered us a hit. His eyes wouldn't close, but his skin was smooth as a baby's. His jaw looked made out of metal, and he bared his teeth like he had rabies. His never ending mouth went from one ear to the other leaving me to wonder, how much did this face cost and should I buy one for my mother? The end of his glass pipe he held tight in his teeth, but the smell coming from it was like someone had pissed on a wreath. He had clearly paid experts to get rid of his belly, and when he laughed, he (laughs) coughed up more of that smoke, which was really smelly. He was skinny and sketchy, a troll on crack, and the more Fitzpatrick and I looked at him, the more we had a panic attack. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head made him look like one of the zombies on The Walking Dead. (laughs) He spoke not a word, but just offered us his pipe. Which of course Fitzpatrick accepted because he's a fucking crackhead. And laying a finger along the side of his nose, he gestured to the limo to see if we still wanted to go. I ran for the sidewalk, pulling on my bestie, and the limo squealed away, carrying with it all that sketchy. Fitzpatrick exclaimed, Do you think they'll come back? To which I answered, Oh, for fuck's sake, Fitzpatrick, I can buy you crack. Merry Christmas, bitches.
0: You are literally one of the worst things to ever happen to me.
2: Ah. Huh?
0: See, I've still got it. If by it, you mean a drug problem.
2: Now, in the 45 minutes I have left, I just...
1: Now, in all seriousness, if you enjoyed what you just heard, you can find more of Jordan Ampersand and our other special correspondents over at The Dinner Party Show. Just click on podcasts at thedinnerpartyshow.com and then click on the archive for The Dinner Party Show in the drop-down menu. And now it's time for a special Christmas-themed installment of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club.
0: And alternately, if you're looking to avoid Jordan Ampersand altogether... (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Run
1: screaming from the room. Oh, poor little Jordan. He's just so, he's so misunderstood around these parts. Eric, you were so hard on him.
0: Yes, I don't think I was hard enough on him or he might have learned and gotten better. (laughs) Well... You know what? It's hard to see the spotlight,
1: and that is what Jordan has had to do, temporarily at least, so that we can focus more on a special we call here called True Crime TV Club. A special series, I should say, as that's what we're calling
0: it. It's hard times out there for a tramp. (laughs) (laughs) Now, don't slut shame him just because he's an idiot. Idiot shaming is fine. I didn't shame him for being a tramp. I said it was hard times out there for being a tramp.
1: I know. In these socially distant times we're living through, it's really hard to be slutty. It's, it is. It's
0: very hard. Trust me. Really, it takes a lot of extra time and effort and protocols.
1: Absolutely.
0: A and level of safety why, that they're not accustomed to. I mean, not at all. Not at all. So, as Although, we promised- the mask wearing is probably something they're pretty comfortable with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the hood wearing. Why at wear least, a, a yes. mask when you can wear a neoprene hood?
0: Just That's go, right. just go whole
1: hood. All right, let's let's bring this in into a more completely
0: disturbing. Right, it's the holidays. What we want to do <laughs> is bring a something light and frothy and delightful to the party people at home and give them a little Christmas cheer, as only we at True Crime TV Club can deliver it. What do you that's, say, Christopher? Let's get Uncle Benny's barn and do a show. A hoot nanny, as we had one of our a party people that on A hullabaloo.
1: A hullabaloo hoot nanny with a lot of H's and, an ep- and another H in the title of the show we're going to talk about today. It's Homicide for the Holidays. And the episode is entitled Santa Claus is Coming to
0: Kill. <laughs> Which, who oh, could resist that? Jesus. Merry Christmas. And do
1: you know that like, like the last one we did, and if I'm wrong, we're going to have to go in and edit this out or say it on Facebook, but I think this is also season one, episode three. They were both. The last true crime TV club we did was also season one, episode three. And I think I checked to make sure I wasn't. Yes, wrong no.
0: About this. That's that's actually really true. They both were. Now that I think of it, there was only one season of the of Death by Gossip, and it was episode yeah. three, I think. And it was this is definitely episode three of Hol- Homicide
1: for the Holidays. Okay, and so one word answer. You picked this one. Do you regret it? No. No. Okay, I didn't think you would. This is I would have to say this is one of the most terrifying we've ever done. I've used the word disturbing a lot. This is terrifying.
0: This unfolds like a full-on horror movie. This is like Black Christmas uh yeah, made real. I just it was it was unbelievable. The description is why we picked this one. That's usually that's frequently true. We picked the Wendy Williams the Death by Gossip because it was about an exploding Christmas present who couldn't pick that, and this was the description of this was just, oh, oh my God! Like, do you remember I, this story? This is actually I our don't. neck of the woods. Yeah, I do mm-hmm. not remember this story at all. I don't know if I blocked it out or I just wasn't facing the screen. Would this have happened? This would have happened while we were out in the desert. What? what yes, year did it did. This happen?
1: It did. I vaguely remember it on the news. We were out. in the then desert Did you know why it mother.
0: is? You know why it is that you that you remember this and I don't is that you watch this over my shoulder while I was talking, <laughs> because when we sit at the breakfast room table, the TV is behind me and you're on the end of the table. And when you get bored with whatever it is I'm talking about, your head just drifts up and you you sail right into the um. Channel One or Poppy Weathercock or whatever we're this watching. This was
1: 2008. It was a completely different breakfast room oh, setup than the one no, you're talking about now. no, different breakfast room. No, I yeah, don't know why Yeah, I it is. just, you know, you always, you're poor Eric. Nobody ever listens to poor Eric. Scherr oh, I'm not. That is not the point of that story. you're probably talking about glimmer snow and greater Christmasville oh we should remind everyone they should keep up with greater Christmasville on social media oh
0: yeah Um, have you too yes if you haven't already like greater Christmasville on Facebook and keep track of all the delights and sugar plums and Uh, lights, just plain old lights, D lights and regular lights. (laughs) And I'll tell
1: you, once we finish talking about this case, you're just going to want to stare at those tranquil pictures of Christmas cheer and and, and for like an hour to get all of this out of your head. This This is is a Christmas
0: nightmare like no other.
1: Like no other. All right. We're going to go to Covina, California, which is in the beautiful San Gabriel Valley out here in Southern California, about an hour's drive from West Hollywood, where we were recording this episode. And I
0: was startled to hear that there was a plain Covina. West Covina gets all the ink, and -hmm. nobody ever talks about just plain Covina. So when they said it was in Covina, I was like, really? There's just a plain Covina? That's interesting. Yeah, Covina
1: proper, if you will. Covina. Yes. Greater Covina. Covina
0: classic.
1: Absolutely. Um, We'd like to introduce you to the Ortega family. They're a very big, very successful, stable family. Joseph and Alice Ortega are the patriarch and matriarch. Uh, Their oldest sons, James and Charles, both have wives and children. And then their younger daughters are Leticia, Leticia, excuse me, Alicia and Sylvia. Um, it's a very extended family and they gather uh every year on Christmas Eve very for a
0: successful big... family yeah. they own a Industrial big commercial paint. painting business yeah. or something uh, and the sons have started their own and work for I mean this is they're really like they they talk about this family was the American dream because they're mm-hmm. em, I think the parents were immigrants and the children were all born here and they all really made a kind of a, a sort of wonderful life. The neighbors were interviewed and everybody talked about what a wonderful and ideal life they had built for themselves and that the Christmas celebration was, their Christmas celebration was kind of the pinnacle Mm -hmm. of um, their own celebration of what a terrific life they all had and shared with each other and with their neighbors very generously hmm
1: The patriarch's name, uh, Papa Joe, is what he's affectionately called. He's the proud son of Mexican immigrants and the first of his family to be born in the United States. And he's actually retired from the family uh, paint business, industrial paint business, as we just said. Uh, every year they open up their spacious home for a family Christmas Eve gathering. Uh, on this particular Christmas Eve, which I believe was Christmas Eve 2008, By 11 p.m., they're playing a family poker game. Some of the guests have left for the evening. It was a big crowd earlier in the night. Um, The the party is starting to wind down when the doorbell rings. Papa Joe's eight-year-old granddaughter, Leticia's daughter, answers the door, and there is someone dressed as Santa Claus. No sooner has she admitted this man into the house that he takes out two guns and starts firing.
0: Shoots her in the face hmm The eight-year-old.
1: Yeah. A 911 dispatcher receives an eruption of calls saying there is a fire in someone's house. The original reports are of an explosion and a fire. Then more specific calls start to come in saying something major is going down on East Knoll Crest Drive. One of the callers says, quote, they're trying to get us. One of the first detectives to arrive on the scene um, describes something apocalyptic the house is engulfed in flames the type of flames that are clearly being driven by some type of accelerant uh, and the neighbor who is watching on the lawn thinks her house is surely going to go up next Uh, most of what we get in this earlier part of the special is from the point of view of the first responders so we're going to go into more detail later about what actually transpired inside the house after that man dressed as santa claus entered but the first responders established that 25 people had been inside the house that evening. Uh, shortly after arriving on scene, they make positive contact with 16 of them. And so they're looking for nine. Papa Joe and his wife Alice are nowhere to be found. But they're not sure what that means because apparently a lot of people who did escape escaped over the back fence and into and the neighbor's diving yard. out
0: of windows and just running for their lives. This is like... I, I just... A, a, a absolutely apocalyptic, end-of-the-world um, hellmouth. Yeah, and there's a lot of news footage in the special of the fire. The TV crews arrived kind of shortly after. The house after. is reduced to cinders. Like, it is yeah. nothing left. It is a hell of a blaze. Yeah. They are
1: able to account for Leticia, her husband, and her eight-year-old daughter, the girl who answered the door for Santa Claus. They jumped over the fence to a neighbor's house and made a call to 911, and then they immediately went to the hospital because the daughter had been so badly injured. She had been shot in the face. Um, Those who escaped from the house are saying that a suspect dressed as Santa Claus made his way in and simply started shooting with both of the guns that he drew. They don't know where the shooter is and the police are getting conflicting reports. It's just chaos when they all arrive. It's a Absolutely, completely... and the
0: footage of the, I mean, everybody is there. There's every fire truck in all of Covina, and maybe West Covina is there. There are police cars and ambulances, and everyone in the neighborhood is poured out onto the street. It is just complete, combined with all of the Christmas lights still going. It is just, I, I, it is, uh, yeah, it is complete pandemonium.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, The neighbors who were present at the party start to tell the police that they saw a small blue car leave the house quickly and its headlights were out. It was a blue Dodge Caliber. The police immediately put out an all points bulletin for the car. Uh, One of the family members, Sal Castillo, is also an interview subject in the special. He ended up at a neighbor's house. He is frantically calling all of his family members that he became separated from during the chaos of the shooting and nobody is answering. At this point, the special cuts, as if this scene isn't horrible enough, to a completely different area of Southern California, which they refer to as a neighboring suburb, but it really isn't. Sylmar is
0: quite a drive away and a little ways north. Um, Yeah. It's... 3 a.m. It's, it's still part of the greater Los Angeles area, but that could be a three-hour drive. Like I, well, that is the no, indi- like the, no the, indication the, of proximity as being yeah. part of Greater Los Angeles. There's you could drive all day and still be in Greater Los Angeles. What is the statistics you give that the the, the TV local TV news market here is
1: is like a second only to the only like way Manhattan, to
0: yeah. the only way to reach a bigger market is to be on the national news like. Mm-hmm. It is such a vast market for local TV news in Los Angeles that the only step up is to go national. If you went to New York to be an anchor, you would actually be taking a step down. That's mm-hmm. how big Los Angeles is. We're not all – it's Los Angeles County and two other counties, really, so maybe even three, depending on how you look at it. So it is really an enormous area. Right. So in
1: quote-unquote neighboring Silmar, at about 3 a.m., this is the same <laughs> night now, 40-year-old um, Brad Pardo returns home from a Christmas party to find his front door unlocked. Inside his living room, his brother Bruce is lying in a pool of blood. It looks like suicide, but he's not really sure. He calls the police. The police arrive on right, the scene because there was
0: extra gunshot and disturbance. Like there were things that make it look like, well, was did he, did somebody else shoot him? Like it, it's very unclear from looking at it initially that it was, yeah,
2: in that the it, despite
0: the, the, the wound coming out of the top of his head. But there's other, like, it's not the only shot. Like, there's mm-hmm. other shots in the room. Like, why would you shoot multiple? It's, it is it's a very confusing scene. And it's Christmas morning, right? He's mm-hmm. come in late, found the house unlocked, come down the stairs to his living room on Christmas morning. And there's his dead brother who doesn't live there. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a nine millimeter pistol in his lap and a second nine millimeter on the floor. So his brother's response is, more than one person shot my brother and they left their guns here. Yeah, know? what
0: the hell? Yeah, But absolutely. at the
1: same time, and, and I think there's a bullet hole in the ceiling. Like, that was yeah. all the evidence, yeah, you were just talking about. Um, okay, so the police and some are investigating that. Back in Covina, Christmas Day dawns and the Ortega house is a complete smoldering ruin. Uh, Of the 25 people who were present at the party when the shooting started, 16 made it out alive and were accounted for. Which is a
0: miracle. Yeah,
1: a miracle. Nine are still missing. The missing includes Papa Joe, Alice Ortega, their two sons and daughters-in-law, two of their own daughters, and one of their grandkids. The scene is so bad, they enlist the L.A. County Coroner's Office for help. They call out something called a SORT team, which includes investigators, criminalists, photographers, and forensic attendants. They show footage of it. It looks sizable, like something you'd see on a network crime drama. The bodies upon discovery, and there are multiple bodies inside the ruins of the house, are not identifiable. They need medical and dental x-rays.
0: Yeah, burned beyond recognition.
1: It soon becomes clear that the only Ortega sibling to survive the attack was Leticia. That's the woman whose daughter opened the front door for Santa Claus.
0: That's right, at Facebook.com slash
1: TheDinnerPartyShow. No, I meant in the car. So as we said, the only Ortega sibling to survive the attack is Leticia, and her granddaughter, or excuse me, her daughter is the one who opened the front door for the shooter. She's at the
0: hospital with her daughter, who is miraculously alive. After being shot in the face, which is shot in the face, yet yeah. another Christmas miracle,
1: yeah. Um, but they've got to talk to her, even though they don't think she might be in she might be in a strained me- uh, mental condition, to say the least. Because the shooter, as far as they know, is still on the loose. They haven't determined if he's among the burned bodies at the house.
0: Uh, They think it's like, given the description of what happened, they think it's some maniac shows Mm -hmm. up dressed as Santa Claus and opens fire on a family in the Christmas Eve in the middle of their Christmas celebration. This is like they have no idea what the hell's going on. The neighbors are terrified.
1: Meanwhile, in Selmar, police are looking into the background of Bruce Pardo, who was discovered uh, shot dead by his brother in his brother's living room. Bruce has a bachelor's degree in computer science. He's worked for a couple companies, including the Jet Propulsion Lab, which autocorrect yeah. turned into Jet Propulsion
0: Library on my show notes. I think that's well. Sounds they like probably have out. a library, but that's yeah. not what they call it. And that's pretty high tone. That's yeah. That's top of the line. That's the Mars rover and. Uh, the Magellan flights and whatever, that's that's pretty, it doesn't get to be a bigger deal than JPL.
1: Uh, right, and he's got some measure of government clearance, apparently,
0: as a result of uh, that position. Right. So, again, adding a more mysterious element to this other secondary murder. Four years before, he was ready
1: to start a family, and one of his co-workers introduced him to a woman named Sylvia Ortiz. She had been married before and was recently divorced and had moved home to... Covina. Are we starting to sense the connection? They married in 2005 and they, along with Sylvia's three children, moved into a small home in Montrose. That's another uh, suburb here in Southern California. Uh, His brother says something bad happened between Bruce and Sylvia earlier that year, but he doesn't really offer a lot of details, and he might not know any details. Shortly thereafter, Bruce got a serious knee injury and basically became a hermit. He never left the house. He wasn't showering. Sylvia moved out in March. She finalized the divorce on December. But that was
0: before she moved out, right? He got the knee, and the knee injury is really the the inciting incident,
1: Uh,
0: right? No. See,
1: we find out later that there's more to the story than even the brother knew. At least that's how I think the special
0: chops it up. Oh, I thought that the the knee injury happened first, and then later she left because he just gave up after the knee injury. No, we find out why she really left later, remember? We'll get there. We'll
1: get there. guess not. Yeah, yeah. No, she leaves for a lot. She has a much better reason
0: to leave than a knee injury. No, no, it's his giving up, the not showering, all of that no, stuff. No. His, yeah, you will we'll completely stepping yeah. out. Okay, well, maybe I don't remember then.
1: Yeah. The, the, okay, so she moves out in March. She finalizes the divorce on December 17th. The LAPD detectives discover that Sylvia's maiden name is, wait for it, Ortega.
0: Big she surprise. She is one
1: of Papa Joe and Alice Ortega's daughters who were killed in the mass shooting on Christmas Eve. The two law enforcement agencies, having realized their cases are connected, begin to collaborate. The forensic investigators determined that all the murder victims were shot at least once close up with a nine millimeter. Same caliber of pistol as was found where Bruce was shot. Some of the victims. two, Two. Two. Yeah. Two pistol. Two nine millimeter pistols were found where he was shot. And Santa was shooting with both
0: hands. Just saying.
1: Yeah. Investigators discover it was a tradition for someone dressed as Santa Claus to drop by the Ortega's house for Christmas Eve party. So it was totally expected. And that is why Leticia's daughter was so quick to open the front door of the house. It also means whoever did this knew about this family tradition. Right. And
0: it also explains why the family didn't react faster because they didn't think it was anything weird about Santa showing up at nearly Mm -hmm. midnight.
1: Usually a neighbor played the role and the neighbor's name was Pat. The investigators find him and he says he hasn't played Santa for years for the family. He moved away. But like I said, this is information about whoever their suspect is. He knew this family's Christmas Eve tradition. Uh, Maybe he's someone from the neighborhood or maybe he's someone that we've been talking about for half of the special now. By late Christmas day, they interview Leticia. Her daughter is going to be okay because the round entered the side of her mouth. And uh, the forensic people say that she surviving a shot directly to the face, it, it's incredibly lucky and incredibly Yeah, rare. I mean, they
0: said it was really just cosmetic injuries. It apparently grazed her jaw and then exited. So it didn't ever actually injure, like there was no getting involved with her brain or her eyes or even her nasal passages. It was just her cheek apparently that was injured and they, she was able to have that cosmetically corrected. So it was a miraculous save for that little girl. Thank God.
1: As important as that, particularly to the investigation, Letitia says she recognized the shooter and it was Bruce Pardo. Bruce. Big surprise. Yeah. At this point, I mean, you see this coming from a mile away, but when you... Well, because they started
0: developing the parallel murder or the parallel mm -hmm. death, it was like... Something is clearly up with bringing this up. If it wasn't. But I I initially thought
1: it was just another victim of the same killer. I think that's what they wanted me to think. I think so.
0: And they gave it a sense of there being like maybe a frame being set up because they found his car on the street. Well, go ahead. Uh, So they, well, they look into
1: Bruce. He had an absolutely clean criminal record, but there's still evidence at his house suggesting that he was murdered and it's not a suicide. Particularly. I think they were thrown by the bullet hole in the, in the the ceiling of the room that, that, that didn't look like a suicide to them. Okay. Uh, They use his key fob and they start walking his street looking for his car because they don't know where it is. They keep pressing it. They hear a beep. And lo and behold, there is the blue Dodge Caravan that the neighbors reported seeing speed away from the Ortega's house in Covina. Inside, they find the Santa suit, hundreds of rounds of ammunition and a flare. And too late, they realize the car has been booby trapped. The flare ignites. It's pulled by a string that's across all of these uh, items. And the car starts to burn and the bullets start to go off. The car is just completely cooked, along with any evidence that might have been available to it. It's just a horror show. Self-destructs. Bruce's autopsy and toxicology show he fired weapons before his death. The entry wounds actually do suggest suicide once they're examined up close. And there are also burns on his hands and his arms, and they're bad. They're third-degree burns. Really hideous. Um, there's white material seared to his pants, and they realize it's pieces of the Santa Claus outfit, and they melted onto parts of his body. And what the police start to realize is they don't think this man planned to kill himself. Um from another part of California, Southern California, a report comes in to the local police there of a mysterious RAV4 parked in his neighborhood. And the caller says this car doesn't belong here. It's been here a while. It's not, It's not. It doesn't belong to any of the locals. The local police go to investigate and they discover it is a rental car under contract to none other than Bruce Pardo. He had altered the registration of the car to make it look like he owned it. This car is not booby-trapped. Instead, it is fully stocked with clothing, water, food, all of the stuff that you would pack for a long road trip. There are also maps of Mexico and the American Southwest. So the picture that they are starting to assemble is that they believe Bruce was planning... To commit this heinous act and then flee, which was the detail that so freaked me out. Like, I, it's not better if a mass shooter decides to kill himself. Nothing makes a mass shooting better. But the fact that this guy thought he was going to be able to get away with it and go go away with something this horrific, and public, and he
0: wasn't. He wasn't even done. Like, where the car was parked was mm-hmm. also very. The getaway car was also very telling. And he would have left had he not been sidetracked, he would have left the booby-trapped car at that location. So it would have been in the investigation of a secondary crime mm-hmm. that, they, that the police discovered the car and perhaps injured and damaged and killed the police as well.
1: They realize exactly, as you just alluded to, that the Rab Forest pl- parked, excuse me, several blocks from the home of Sylvia's divorce attorney. So there was a subsequent victim that he did not get to. And the attorney then reveals the reason that their marriage really fell apart.
0: What was it? I...
1: The, poli- the reason for the divorce was that Sylvia opened a tax return oh. document and saw that Bruce had a child listed as a dependent that she didn't know anything about. That's right. And it turns out that before he met Sylvia, Bruce had been living with his girlfriend, Elena, and they were caring for a young son named Matthew. Elena went out for groceries. His son. His son, right. Elena went out for groceries. Bruce was alone with the child, and the child wandered off and ended up in the pool and almost drowned. He lost so much oxygen in his brain, he ended up confined to a wheelchair. And Bruce left. Left. He just abandoned the family, he abandoned his wife with the child, this wheel, wheelchair-bound wheelchair child, excuse me. Sylvia's discovery of this just destroyed her. The, the idea that not only did, did he sort of was he not looking while his child nearly drowned, but that he took absolutely no responsibility it, for it aside from paying for child support and claiming the child as a dependent on the tax return that she opened by mistake. And so Sylvia left him. And that was why his life was sliding downhill. It wasn't just a knee injury. It was that his dark, terrible secret had been discovered and his wife had left him over it.
0: Well, the one element of the story that they didn't address was the cause of the knee injury and the aftermath of the knee injury. I'm assuming that there was also medication or knee injury involved that actually led to a lot of this, um, let's say... uh, bad decision-making that um, is built around. Just crazed.
1: Yeah. They get a search warrant for Bruce's house and a workshop behind the house. They find bomb-making materials, black powder, ammunition, wrapping paper. The entire plan had been written out and it was all there. He'd spent weeks, if not months, planning it. There were valves, cut hoses. And that is when they discover that, yes, indeed, the firefighter's suspicions were correct, there was an accelerant used, and this is the part that will just. This keep is the detail from.
0: that sold us on doing this this episode in the first place was that somebody comes to address as Santa Claus with a homemade flamethrower. Yeah, like Jesus. That was what I couldn't resist. That was like I've got to know what happens in this,
1: and it is a nightmare. He. Um basically he made this device himself he wrapped it up like a christmas present which is why they found wrapping paper remains um we now go back to our interview subject sal who was present when the shooting started and he describes the moment bruce entered and says the first thing he noticed about him was that he was wearing shooting glasses with his santa claus outfit um sal is so panicked during the shooting he smashes a window with his hand to get out um, he regrets not turning the other way and ambushing him. Sal, I'd like to give you permission to let yourself off the hook. Yeah, this sounds like poor a little guy. I felt bad like for God. him
0: because, like, you would just be dead and cooked too. Like, I know it must break his heart to have lost his mom and all in the the conflagration, but he would just have died too if he hadn't run for his life. I, I, I felt bad for that kid. Yeah. So basically.
1: What happened next, which the investigators spell out for us, is is what Bruce had done is he had removed a motor from the top of a spray device and attached a canister of carbon dioxide.
0: This is a little moment of what I like to call instant karma.
1: Yes. So after he's done with all the shooting, he's wheeled this device inside. He's connected a spray nozzle to it. This one is-
0: gift-wrapped device mm-hmm. inside, because it's not enough that he made a homemade flamethrower. He wrapped it in Christmas paper.
1: And one of the canisters attached to it is filled with pressurized oxygen, the other with high-octane fuel. And so in the form of a mist, he begins to deliver 18 gallons of gasoline to the interior of the house. Inside of his Santa suit, he had stowed road flares, which I guess he was going to use as his ignition source. But, as you alluded to earlier, what he doesn't take into account is that there is already an open flame in the house. dressed in Santa, as Santa Claus, having shot everyone in this house that he can reach, is misting the interior of the home with uh, high-octane jet fuel that he from this yes. device that he has made and wheeled in, wrapped as a present. He doesn't account for the fact that maybe...
0: There's going to be a Christmas candle lit on the table, for God's sake.
1: Absolutely. Idiot. So Bruce finds himself surrounded by a flash fire of his own creation.
0: Wearing flares inside of his highly flammable Santa suit.
1: So the reason that his plan went sideways is because he burned himself so badly. He had no choice but to flee the house and go to his brother's home. (laughs) He couldn't even get, like, he was the The reenactment is gruesome and brutal, but he's so badly burned he can barely think. But he still manages to drive to Silmar, which I think is his quite arms, a dark achievement. Which are
0: so horribly burned are the the Santa suit is literally melted into the flesh of his arms. It was just just a nightmare. It's like it's Phantom of the Opera stuff.
1: A, a horror movie, just a pure horror movie unfolding in real yeah. time.
0: Jesus. And um, couldn't happen to a nicer guy.
1: I mean, really. Uh, and he ended his life. He shot himself, you know, because there, there was, was no
0: escaping to Mexico in the condition he was in. In fact, there was no even getting to the lawyer's house to do whatever he planned to do to that poor family.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I know you, you know, I always say this is the most disturbing one we've ever done. I, it's not, it's the most terrifying one we've ever done. The the speed of this attack, the crazy diabolical thought that went into it, the number of people at the party that probably had no idea who he was or what was happening. I mean, it's just everything about it is a complete living nightmare. It was just, yeah. you know. And, and the
0: only detail I would really be interested in is knowing what kind of medication he was on as a result of the knee injury, because I think that's as re, were the Sacklers responsible for this too. Mm Mm hmm.
1: Um, do, do you think we see that a lot? Like, I, I don't know if, if, if medications and drugs create a homicidal impulse. I think a lot of people can take them and not. But I think the level and the degree and the sort of crazy fucked up well, planning. It's
0: the lack of inhibition that comes mm-hmm. from being um, altered that I think can very often, you know, while it might be just putting a lampshade on your head and dancing on the table— it, it is the fact that the, the decision-making gets even less um, considered, shall right. we say, um, because you're under the influence. And I think there was that combined with, yes, I think his sense of persecution and paranoia were further enhanced. I mean— What did the family have to do with like he wanted to take away from her the things that he loved because he lost what like Mm -hmm. his job because he was lying to clients and billing people for stuff that he wasn't doing and pocketing the money like like he was like there isn't anybody who was responsible for the stuff that happened in his life but him. Mm -hmm. And so. Like okay, he kills Sylvia, or I thought her name was Sophia. I I really I must have been sleepy during this part of the the story, or just blocking it out. But um, he kills the wife, sure, but like, why kill all of her brothers and sisters and her mother and her father? They supported her, but they're not responsible. Like it was like, shoot an eight year old girl in the face, like. My God, where Mm -hmm. would you have to have arrived? And I just have to think, you know, you must really be incredibly high. And then Mm -hmm. this elaborate escape plan. And I don't know, it's almost more like meth than, um, uh, than, uh, uh, than than uh, opioids, if you ask me, it's so mm-hmm. out there and out of control. But you wouldn't give anybody meth for a screwed up knee.
1: But we don't know what he was taking on his own. I mean,
0: that, that yeah, he may up. have you know like been mixing it with a little meth for sparkle and holiday cheer.
1: Yeah, but this is I'm. We did a, a true crime TV club about a Thanksgiving massacre that wasn't quite this horrific. It was plenty horrific, but it was I think just a shooting, right? And it was. It would, there was a similar element. It was a a son in a family who didn't believe he had been respected or thought he had been disrespected, so well, he opened fire. Well, he was
0: somebody who had had a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Like, and so he was, again, altered. Mm-hmm. And one of the points that I made when we were covering on that, despite the fact that he had had a traumatic brain injury and extensive psychological problems for which he had been treated, he was able to go to a gun store and buy a— a host of ammunition and weaponry to come murder his family with, which is once again back to the like. Mm, really, that's maybe something we want to consider. But um, but yeah, again, it was somebody who was not, it wouldn't seem, in full possession of and the best manager of his own faculties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this I... guy that his it was so extreme. It just seemed like to me that it must be in and around the knee injury that that something must have happened because that appears to be the inciting incident. It's the moment when his life began to turn down. Although to be fair, as you pointed out, um, sort of sleeping through the, um, paralysis of his own child and then Mm -hmm. walking out on the mom and having not taking no responsibility for his own actions. There is pretty, um, is a pretty inciting incident of and to itself. And that was the discovery that caused Sylvia slash Sophia to leave. But um, it was very much um. the point where, like, would he have been in a better shape to keep her from seeing the tax returns? Because she hadn't for the previous mm. four years. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't been high, you know, mm-hmm. like, I just really saw a case for this is somebody who's really, Like not bathing for days and sitting Mm -hmm. in a chair drinking is like the combination of alcohol and downers. Like it just seems like there's something bad going on here. There's Mm -hmm. a bad thing happening and it, it doesn't excuse his behavior, but it tends to explain the extreme and outsized reaction that he has to, you know, a true, clearly a serious life tragedies.
1: Uh, yeah I, I mean I think part of me suspects that it's got to be there's got to be some kind of uppers in there some kind of meth thing because booby trapping the car in the way that he did doesn't strike me as something easily done on alcohol and downers but it could have been a really crude I don't booby trap cars to destroy criminal evidence so I don't know what it takes but it could have been a crude device you know what I mean
0: well he was also a pretty bright man like he was yeah. no slow leak this is somebody who worked at JPL so the engineering clearly rolled in to his, you know, wily coyote plans for um, a homemade flamethrower and uh, the, the self-destructing car to destroy all the evidence, those things were... That was pretty insidious and pretty much a part of... He wasn't stupid. He was mm-hmm. just... He... Not making the best decisions that he might.
1: hmm Not at
0: all. My God. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. We were looking for Christmas theme. It's still true crime TV club. So we wanted something that was Christmas related. And, you know, um, if Santa Claus just shows up randomly at the door of your house, mm, <laughs> Ask for some ID.
1: Uh, yeah, I get, get a background check on whoever your Santa Claus is going to be and let all the grown-ups know, you know. Let the grown-ups answer the door. Yeah, I just eight-year-olds
0: got... don't get to answer the door. But, that's, that, I think that's a good rule of thumb no matter what time of year it is. Uh, and
1: I think that's just the thing that's so terrifying about it is being attacked in a place where you feel safe, where you where, that feels almost innocent, a holiday family it's party. The most,
0: it's the most horrifying thing in the world.
1: I look at crimes like this and I think, and this may just be not being a psychopath, trying to understand a psychopathic mindset, but they always seem, even many serial killings seem like an act of fucked up, misguided revenge, a punishment, right? And I don't know if that's just because a lot of therapists who analyze serial killers do have talked about their crimes in that way and it seeped into the culture and that's, we all, they're all getting back at their domineering mothers. You know, that's the stereotype around serial killers and maybe it's more complex than that, but this is about, I'm going to destroy everything that made you happy because you left me. I mean, it is, it is so far beyond if I can't have you, no one will. It's, you can't have anything.
0: It was very much like, and it was about it was about attacking Christmas as much as it was about attacking this family. They said right after Halloween that year, he took all of his Christmas ornaments and lights and put them on the fence out in front of his house. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Sa- Christmas is coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a, there was very much, he dressed as Santa Claus. He gift wrapped the, um with Christmas wrapping, the, flamethrower there was very much an attack on the holidays in general and i i think you know the holidays are stressful to people and they can't intensify feelings of isolation and loneliness but yeah i think you're right there is a there, it seems to be a misunderstanding like somehow my doing this terrible thing will communicate this thing that i'm trying to say to people better than me just simply telling people this thing that I'm trying to communicate. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that that seems to be a misguided and twisted interpretation on the part of the perpetrator that I don't fully get. Because, like... This doesn't communicate that to me. This doesn't, you know, yes, you tried. It was the same in Thanksgiving. He he chased that little girl all the way upstairs and shot her in bed because she had sung along with the sisters who he resented and been applauded by the rest of the family who Mm -hmm. didn't applaud him. Like, that's that's some really twisted shit. That's mm-hmm. some really fucked up reasoning. And it does not come across to me in any of those cases. It just makes them really sadistic assholes mm-hmm. um, as they, and doesn't make the point that they were seem to be trying to make. And I don't know, maybe it's not important that other people get it. Maybe it's for themselves. I have no idea, but you're right. It is hard to reason with the insanity of a crazy person. It is hard to fully get, it is hard to comprehend mental illness at all. Like if somebody has a cold, you can relate and you can get it, but like mental illness, you, the tendency, the feeling is almost, oh, cheer up, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's not something you can say to somebody who is mentally ill. We don't understand enough about how the mind works at all to really fully comprehend. But but it is very hard to put yourself in the place of somebody who is suffering from mental illness and understand what they're going through because you really can't put yourself in their position.
1: Hmm. No, you can't. And it, I, I, in other areas of research for books I've worked on and that aren't necessarily connected directly to the criminal mind, it becomes abundantly clear that we know a lot more about the brain, the, the literal structures of the brain than we used to, Yes. but there's still plenty we don't know. There is still plenty we don't know, and some of this is like this is they're talking about this with um, I'm going to blank on the the acronym the the traumatic brain injury that they believe a lot of pro football players suffer with that may have a connection yes. to criminal behavior or suicidal behavior that it requires the study of the brains. Uh, on a, th- once you have access to the whole brain when the person's dead. There, there's not yes. a really definitive test yet or a brain no. scan that can sort of tell you all you need to know. But there are whole segments of the brain tissue that we don't really know what they're involved in. We know that certain branching networks run through them and that they have... A response. I think the thing that really convinced me of this, it was Michio Kaku. Do you know who that is? He's the. I believe he's Japanese. He's a white-haired scientist who's always interviewed on the specials about the science of the future, you know, and the science of the impossible. And he's not somebody we would talk about on what science here on the show. He's, he's a grounded, respected scientist. <laughs> he's
0: actually a scientist with some credibility to him who wouldn't appear on what science.
1: But he says that. Every generation so far that has studied the brain has compared it to whatever its most advanced form of technology in that moment is. Yes, I've seen that. Right? We used to talk about it like it was a steam engine with pumps and pistons because that was the technology we were dazzled by. Then we talked about it like it was a microchip. Now we're talking about it in terms of like a cloud network or cloud computing. But that tendency reveals how odd we are by the nature of the brain. And I think that definitely plays into any kind of c- credible study of mental illness any any sort of neuroscience based or connected study of mental illness. Oh, but Jesus. <laughs> okay. Not yeah, the most disturbing we've ever done,
0: but the most terrifying.
1: Okay. That's it's my. Burden. right
0: up there. My God. Like, and you're right. It is that sense of like my most terrifying experience was having that person be in my house with a gun and I didn't even know there was another person in the house like mm-hmm. that. Having that your safe space taken away from you,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: even once they're gone, how safe can you really feel there? Every time I hear a sound when I'm in the bathtub or the shower, is there another person with a gun inside my house
1: mm-hmm.
0: ever since? And that's been, you know, a while ago.
1: Absolutely. Well. Well. I feel like since it is almost Christmas, maybe we should introduce something a little bit more cheerful. I don't know. We should go out on maybe a more positive note. Does that sound like a good plan, Eric (laughs) Sarkwine?
0: Well, since we allowed one of our special correspondents to intrude earlier, I I think it's only fair that we give a little bit of airtime to our other special correspondents, all of whom collaborated in their very own special Christmas message, and spoiler alert, it's way, way better than Jordan's. So, without further ado, here it is. Jordan? Jordan! Jordan! There you are, tippling in the wine cellar.
2: You know, you might actually be cool if the stuff you said actually made sense.
0: That's funny. I I often think the same thing when I talk to you. What I mean is, you really seem to have drunk a lot of our wine.
2: Yeah, most of it was
0: super old, so Uh, I
2: figured you'd be throwing it out soon anyway. Not
0: really how wine works. Anyway, I was looking for you. Okay,
2: first of all, I didn't think they would break so easy, and I totally didn't expect them to start screaming either.
0: Okay, let's save that story for a little later. I I have a surprise. Prize for you in the gift bag room. The gift bag room? Yes. There's a gift bag room? <laughs> yes, right through here. After you.
2: Hey, there aren't any gift bags in here. It's just a lot of mops and brooms and stuff.
0: And it's all for you.
2: Really? That's all. So- hey, are you trying to trick me? This door is locked. Hey! Hey, let me
0: out of here. I can't stay here. Let's Christmas, everywhere I go. Is there any sparkling water? Okay, what's going on? What's so important? Well, I felt bad after Jordan's little stunt with Twas the Night Before Christmas last week, so I thought we needed to fix it. Yeah, um, sorry about that.
1: Funny story. I told him I wanted to put together a sort of audio Christmas card for the show. And he
0: didn't know what audio meant. He didn't, actually. Long story short, I brought the whole cast really? in. Really, everyone? Well, the TDPS Christmas party is next week, and there's the big announcement, and it's important Boy. to me that we redo the whole thing right. Okay,
1: everybody, come on. Really, come on, all, me all me. of them? Huh? Yeah. You had to invite all oh, of them? them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that time of the hour. How were they all available? Okay, okay
0: everybody, 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 yeah, everybody, yeah.
1: God, it's up. like we are the world for assholes. Okay,
0: Eric, are we ready, Brandon? Ready. Okay, up to timbo the little motherfuckers, here we go! Oh God, how much is this gonna cost? Or you could just fire Jordan. I'm sure it'll be great. Shh! Twas the eve before Christmas, the joy shared by all, cause everything was half price here at Poison Creek Mall. The last-minute shoppers were gleeful with panic. But the children's were hellions, pendejo satanic. Oh, that's nice, Lupe. As Lupe O'Neill. Here in the newsroom, we scrambled for relevance. The Republican primaries were more farce than elegance. Their clown car of candidates seemed devoid of a winner, and I counted the minutes till good night and good dinner. A star in the East once predicted good fortune, but that slut Sagittarius has ruined things for everyone. So while I may still be the queen of the stars, I'm currently living in the back of Brick's car. Didn't see that coming, eh, fucky Brick?
2: The specter of Isis has spoiled foreign travels, so I opened a gift shop as my business unraveled. I now sell gift baskets as my new
1: vocation designed for the traveler who chooses staycations.
0: I'm Brock. And I'm Bastion. And we're here to say... We're having a party on this Christmas day. Our stunning glass palace will be decked, draped, and lighted. But we want you to know that you're all not invited. Everyone who's anyone will be at our ball. So since you all missed it, best wishes to all...
2: (laughs) Airquats! (laughs) Airquats! Now, Mario and Olsen and each patchwork player get into costume and makeup and hair. The critics are here for our pageant review, so do a good job or I'll kill all of you.
1: As solstice moon arises in the Bay Area sky, sacred altar prepare, show Heine and I. With chanting and incense, Gaia we evoked. Instead, the fire department came
0: following our smoke. We're loud. And we're kind. And we're here for a reason. To restore the true meaning of the Christmas season. With all the distractions and presents to please us, we want to remind you it's still Two, two snaps, snaps for, for Jesus. Jesus.
1: If your ends are all split and your skin is too dry, we've got a solution that you ought to try. Stop by Chez Chavot, there's never
0: a wait. Soon all your friends will say. You look great. And stop by Darnell's for a holiday frock that'll soon put some spirit back into your walk. I'm Beverly Goodly of Beverly's Good Sense. With our seasonal fragrance, Holy Sacraments. Now hold on everybody, I say, I say, you're losing the spirit of the true Christmas day. Instead of these presents and tinsel and trees, you should save all your money and give it to me. No, the holiday season means be of good cheer. So we can stand ass acres like you for the rest of the year.
2: We're Mauritius.
0: And TJ. And I am called Boris. And
2: And we we wanted to wish Jesus greetings in in chorus. chorus. And I am Natasha, and he is Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Happy New Year! And his drugs kicked in early, so he's kind of erratic. With Janice. And Anidia from WeHo City
0: Hall. Bringing non denominational holiday wishes to all. So while we make merry, our thoughts are not far. To all party people, wherever you are. With the exception of Jordan.
2: Oh, Mr. Clean. We
0: want you to know we thank you for listening to the dinner party show. The gloom. Eric Shaw You back. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn
1: And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric.
0: Thanks. And Merry Christmas.
1: This is TDPS.